0: Welcome to the Tangled Tanuki Bonsai Podcast. Welcome back to the Tangled Tanuki Bonsai Podcast. Today I'm happy to get on our first potter, Anthony Jenkins, uh, from uh, Jenkins Family Pottery. How are you doing, Anthony? Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great, great to have you on. End of a busy week.
1: <laughs> yes, it is. And I'm very excited to sit down, relax and have a cool conversation with you.
0: Yeah, we were just having a little bit of a pre-chat and there was some, some great information. So I hope that we can carry that on. You seem to be a a bucket full of knowledge that uh, I just have to poke holes into and we'll, we'll get some good streams going.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm glad I have you to poke and prod because uh, I can get, uh, a little bit of a speaking block unless I'm asked questions, so it'll be fun yeah. working together on this. We'll keep we'll
0: keep it going. We'll keep
1: it going. You know, I like to look at history. Um, I like to look at the things that are you know considered very traditional, just because I think it's it's kind of nice to be able to tie back to roots. And then um, I like to put my own my own twist, my own take, my own style on it. And uh, you know, when you're first learning, I don't think there's <laughs> I think the fastest way is is really emulating others in the beginning, you know, you just kind of while you're figuring out technique and, um, you know, how to achieve certain looks and results just so you have an understanding of what's possible, you know. And then um, and then from there, you start merging those ideas and concepts and kind of coming up with your own way of doing things. And uh, then that's when it really takes off. So, yeah, I, I just, you know, I'm constantly looking at other artists, um, old works, new works. um all across the globe i don't like to get locked into any particular culture i just kind of like to you know just see what i think is beautiful out there and then do my best
0: to do it some justice <laughs> yeah no you're making some great uh some great pottery so
1: i'm passionate on this topic i can uh time will slip you might have to catch me <laughs> yeah I've, I've,
0: I've found with bonsai people as soon as you start pointing them in the right direction they they tend to they tend to have a lot to say which is great it's And the people are really friendly and open, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a fantastic community. That's um, one of the reasons why I, um, you know, I love ceramics in general. Um, I've loved bonsai since I was a kid, but um, I never really got super into it. I gave it a go a couple times and then, you know, life would move me and things would change and I have to give it up for a while. And this last time when I got into ceramics, um, I thought, yeah, I'm going to try bonsai pots. And uh was so welcomed by the community that, you know, it it really helped drive the passion and kind of motivate me.
0: That is eh? I mean, the, the, I think the ceramics also I found is a very open community. There's not, maybe, maybe there are people that sort of hold their secrets and, but I found like a lot of people that I've reached out to are very, very open and very helpful. I mean, even guys that are like, the, the big guys in the in in the business I would say. Uh, I've emailed them or sent them a message on Instagram and they'll like shoot a message back here, yeah, try this, try that. So it's very it's a very cool community, I have to say.
1: I, I can't agree more. I, I've had the exact same experience and I actually find it kind of weird when someone's super protective of their their way
0: of doing things, you know? It's
1: <laughs> it's a little odd to me. Um, it's cool, like when everyone's open,
0: you know, everyone grows together. Yeah. It just pushes you to make better work, eh?
1: Yeah, for sure, you know, and like, I don't know how, how everyone else is, but I feel like I learn more when I'm teaching anyways. You know, like if I um, I think I have a concept, I, I, I realize I don't really know it until I've taught it. And once I've taught it, then I, then I know I got it, you know?
0: You're learning double, basically, hey, when, you te- when you're teaching.
1: Yeah, you're filling in those gaps, you know, it's funny, it's like you write a paper and then you edit your own paperwork and it's easy to uh, to miss things. So then you verbalize your thoughts out loud, you know, to somebody else and, and talking them through your your methodology and mindset. And and you start to realize that you had some gaps, <laughs> you know, and you don't you don't really realize it. So you're trying to explain it to someone else. And then you're like, oh, man, I got to think about that different, you know, <laughs> and
0: then, bam, you learn something. So I, I love teaching. It's cool. Do you, teach, do you teach at all or do you sort of at the moment just that you've got enough on your plate? <laughs> I teach informally. Um, a lot of um, other artists
1: have reached out to me since I started asking me how I do this or that. Um, and I also do a lot of uh, live throws for customers that order custom orders. So, you know, maybe they call up and, you know, they, they have an idea in their head, but they, they, they can't quite convey it or maybe they can't quite polish it off you know they they just know they want something with this kind of vibe that goes well with this kind of tree and then maybe they're interested in, in starting pottery themselves and so i'll um i'll do a live throwing session with them we'll build out their pot they can help influence the design as it goes and then um that that started kind of like this teaching culture thing i have going now i wasn't planning on it but um I'm probably going to try to incorporate that pretty heavily. Um, I want to get uh, a little bit farther along and standing up. I'm trying to build a uh, a much larger pottery um, with a, a very large wood-fired kiln on some decent acreage of land. I want to get that really nailed in and accomplished, and then I'll probably start holding um, kind of like pottery boot camps for um, bonsai artists that are interested in getting into pottery and things of that nature. So I'm working in that direction, but now I just do it informally. Are you using in-
0: an electric kiln at the moment.
1: Yeah, I use an electric kiln, and sometimes when I want to get um, you know those those same types of effects, for, fortunately I have a chemistry background, so I can sometimes simulate that um, just with the you know with the, the glaze application and the glaze chemistry, um, or you know maybe it's oxides or whatever. But you can also cheat that slightly um, by using things like a sagger, um, where you create a reduction environment inside inside an oxidizing electric kiln so you can you can get similar results even though you're using an electric kiln so uh, sometimes I'll, I'll take that approach but yeah ultimately I want to have a wood-fired kiln as well of, of a pretty large scale um, I get orders sometimes that that are larger than my kiln can currently service and that frustrates me i like I like making big I like throwing big um, and right now my kiln's my my limiting factor so gonna build a gigantic kiln you know like the size of the room <laughs> and then um like a really big uh like a really big
0: wood fight kiln.
1: yeah really large um uh, partially in the ground mostly made of brick um pr- pretty large pretty large and in charge you know achieving firing temperatures around like cone 14 um, oh, those are those bi- be, i mean uh, those those take days to fire though don't they oh yeah yeah the uh the scale of those things is pretty intense. It actually requires several people to fire it. Um, someone has to kind of man the kiln for, you know, 24/7 for days. So it actually takes, you know, a network of people to to pull it off. Um, really excited about. It. I'm fortunate that everyone in my family is, you know, super interested in it and wants to participate. So they all uh, they all help me do what I do. And looking forward to the wood fired kiln. You know, it's going to be fun. You know, you set up a tent and some chairs and. Have a barbecue and relax, and have fun, and talk, and laugh, and learn, and fire pots. So yeah, it becomes a, a social gathering. Eh? Yeah, I love it because I love the roots of pottery in general. Um, you know, it was, it's always been a social thing, and it's always been a social interaction between the potter and the people using the pottery, and, and kind of a community vibe. And I that's one of the things I love about it the most. So I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to the wood fire and kiln, and bringing a little bit more community to the work, and. Um, I think I think the work grows that way too. You know, it, it kind of evolves, and it evolves. It evolves in ways that you yourself couldn't make it. You know, c- couldn't imagine <laughs> because it's a it's a network of ideas. You know, it's a, a group of people all contributing, and that's that's the coolest thing. It's the coolest part.
0: Yeah, I've seen a lot of I've, well on YouTube. I've seen a few. I think there's a guy called John the Potter that I've been uh, watching. And he went up to somebody, he like drove, I think he drove 14 hours just to get to a wood-fired kiln. So I'm sure you'll find, you might find a few people that are even willing to drive uh, a few hours to come and put a few pots and man the station for a few hours. Because those, you get such lovely effects. Yeah,
1: It's so funny you say that. So um, I've had this idea now for maybe a year and been working towards it. Um, it's a it's a pretty serious uh, you know undertaking. Honestly, you know I got to buy about five acres of land. Um, I'm buying a heavily wooded lot in the uh, in the foothills of Shasta and Mount Lassen up here in California. And um, you know I've looked around and there's there's really no one around me that has wood fired kilns for, for quite some distance. So, anyways, I've been planning this out. I also watch, um, you know, the YouTube videos and John the Potter and all, all those guys. And I saw the exact video you're talking about, and it was uh, it was inspiring, you know, because that's I that was exactly what the the kind of thing I was trying to create. And then, bam! I see it right there on YouTube, and I'm like, awesome! It is a good idea, and people are into it, you know. I started reaching out to my network of customers and Potter friends, etc. And everybody's you know, it's already told me they're on board. You know, you let me know, bro, and we'll be there. I'll I'll fly across the country if that's what it takes. I'm like, Oh, how cool. So yeah, it'll I can't wait to
0: get it done. It's gonna be fun. Have you like experimented at all with like a smaller scale wood firing? Oh yeah.
1: I'll tell you I'll tell you a quick story. Pretty wild. So when I first got into pottery, um what inspired me was actually my son, my oldest boy. He um well, actually my middle son first. So my middle son said said to me one day, Hey Dad, you always tell these cool stories about when you were a kid and all the crazy things you did outside, outdoors. Um, I used to be in the survival stuff. And um and I wanna do that stuff. Can we go do it? So I called I called one of my friends who owns a pretty large ranch out here and said, Hey, mind if I come take my son out and we just do some crazy survival tactics on your land? I'm gonna dig up some clay. We're going to mess around. I'll probably build a little clay oven, you know, and just teach my boys and stuff, show them to the fish and all this kind of stuff. So he said, yeah, go for it. So we went out, we dug up some clay. We had some fun, brought some clay back, um, processed it, you know, threw a couple things on a on, on a wheel I made from a five-gallon bucket, <laughs> a couple bags <laughs> of concrete, all thread, and an old tractor tire. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, did, we didn't have a kiln yet, right? And so – we're like, well, damn, now we got this. How are we going to deal with it? So I have one of those ceramic egg barbecue pits. And, um, you know, I was looking at it and I was thinking about it. I'm like, well, it's ceramic. Let's see. What else is going on here? Well, like the felt's probably going to be a problem. And like this little great thing's aluminum. I can cover that with steel. And all right, what's up with this? And it might not get hot enough. It does, It's not very large. So I'm probably going to need to drive some heat into it. So I hooked up my <laughs> Beyonce's hair dryer. Um, <laughs> some uh, some pipe, pumped it into the thing, uh, filled it up with uh, sawdust and wood and you know whatever and, and fired it kind of like a pit fire similar to a wood fire and just pit fired my uh, my pottery from my friend's yard. <laughs> wow. And actually, to be honest, that's some of my favorite stuff. it sits on my shelf. I was embarrassed by it in the beginning because it looks so lousy, you know, but now I look at it, and it's actually beautiful. It looks kind of like something you might find in an archaeological site, but it's got these beautiful colors. Because it was the first time I played with using salts and oxides and things of that nature. And just kind of let the hairdryer blow it into it and create this crazy atmosphere. And uh, got some really cool pots. You know, none of them survived. They all cracked. Because I didn't understand heating and cooling and, and the rates of heating and cooling yet. Yeah, that was my first experiment. And since then, I've experimented a lot like that. But I don't, have, um, I don't have the land yet to go build a real kiln, you know, of scale. So I'm very excited and looking forward to it.
0: In the States, they use a lot of gas kilns too?
1: Or? I would say for your average studio potter, you know, where someone's doing it out of their house or something, it's almost always electric. They usually fire to cone six. Um, they're usually not larger than 23 inches in diameter. And so you're pretty limited on size and scope. And then, you know, people with, you know, maybe a little bit more money or, got lucky and found a a used kiln we'll we'll buy one of the more more commercial oriented gas kilns um and that allows you to start getting into reduction and really fine-tuning some processes um the good news is you know in modern times controllers are now available programmable settings and all of this and it makes it makes mastering your kiln a lot simpler i have a super old kiln so i do it all you know kind of kind of the way it was done forever ago i'm watching color of you know my pots and keeping an eye on cones and things of that nature through the firing process i haven't found a gap yet where not having a controller is a problem for me but when i um when i move to the, my new property i'm going to have two kilns i'm going to have a very large gas kiln and also a very large wood fire kiln and then i'll do most of my bisking through a uh through an electric kiln that i'll that i'll keep there and uh so most of the production will go through the electric kiln first, and then move from that over into either the uh, the gas kiln or the wood-fired kiln.
0: Oh, that's very cool. So you have three kilns then. You'll you'll have them all covered basically. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, all all three types. <laughs> kind of need it, though for the full range of stuff I want to make. And like you know, like you, I, I dive in head first. I can't. Uh, I don't have a choice. It's just kind of my DNA. So um, yeah, gonna be gonna be going nuts. It's gonna cost a lot of money and time, but I think it'll be well
0: worth it in the end. Yeah, I think it's also once you get into something and you start taking it seriously, there's, it's oftentimes it's just better to go and do it properly instead of half assing it. And then you're going to, first of all, time is one of the most important things. And you're going to be wasting a lot of that by half assing it and trying to get things sort of done in a inappropriate way or you sort of duct-taping something on you and then in the end, it just doesn't work out. So I've found that it's best to rather either wait a little bit if it's a money issue and save a little bit and then just go and get the proper thing um, or really just get get the best quality or the best, the best equipment that you can. And it's not always the name brand or just try and find something that's really good. I couldn't agree more. <laughs>
1: I really, I mean, absolutely. That's totally my mantra. You know, if you're going to do it, just do it right. Because if you don't, you're going to pay for it with time and you'll never get that time back. (laughs) And pottery, I I would say that's, that's definitely true. The other thing with pottery is you can't be afraid to dive in head first because it's the only way to learn. Um, You know, there's some, I think there's some things in life that you can, um, you can read a book about and um, maybe go to school about and, you know, and get a, get a large way there just by doing that. But something like pottery, it's, um, you got to immerse yourself and you can't, um, you can't be afraid to dive into something new, you know, or you'll just get stuck and you'll never grow. So you just got to always be throwing yourself into it and, uh, looking for the next thing, you know, what, what don't I know how to do right now today and how am I going to approach that tomorrow, (laughs) you know, and just dive in. (laughs) You know, make sure you have the best equipment you can, the best setup you can and um, and then just throw yourself at it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was one of the things I actually wanted to ask you in terms of experimenting, because I see a lot of your work and a lot of the 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 Instagram live uh, videos that you're putting out. There's there seems to be a, a, an element of experimenting in, in your work as somebody that's trying to learn pottery myself. I sometimes get to that point where you don't know what you don't know and I've been looking at legs, how to make this leg. and I just can't wrap my mind around it and I'd like to maybe like pick your brain a little bit That's that's such a good question. Um, kind
1: of a long answer, but it's probably I think it might be worth it. I think you're touching on a really important topic. So when you're first when you're first approaching, I think I think it's true for anything that you're trying to master. My approach to, to mastering something, regardless of what it is, is to first identify the fundamentals. You know, what are the fundamentals? that are required to be a master at this thing, you know, whatever that thing might be. And, um, and pottery, the way I approach that is I studied who, who I asked myself, who are the masters, you know, for the things I'm interested in, who is the best at doing those things. And then I went and I watched them. I read about them and I studied their work. Once I did that, then I asked myself what's in common. You know, everyone has their own approach, um, but what are the, what is the, the things that are consistent amongst all of these masters? You know, all of them have their own, you know, maybe finesse or, or angle on something, but there's, there's probably common ground that they're all doing, and whatever those common ground points are, those are clearly fundamentals that I must master myself. So I watch people like, um, there's a gentleman on YouTube that I definitely recommend, uh, Florian Gadsby, um, he's really great. Um, I always, I always mispronounce his name. H and Chuen Lin, I think is his name. He's a potter in San Francisco and he's, uh, he's fantastic. And he's posted over five, 600 videos online, kind of like two little short tutorials, you know, and I've watched lots of people like this and, um, they're masters of their craft and they all have a couple things that they do and a couple things they talk about. So when I first learned, I practiced nothing but that. So the first thing is, how do you wedge clay? (laughs) It sounds simple, but it became very apparent to me that that all the people that are masters have mastered the consistency of their clay. They they have a starting point they know they start from, and it's always the same. Um, So you're eliminating some variables there. Um, So I just spent, it sounds crazy, but I spent three weeks doing nothing. But every single day, (laughs) wake up to go to bed wedging clay (laughs) until i had it down you know until i was sure i you know i had i could consistently deliver the same clay body every time and then it was centering you know how do you center clay on a wheel how do you do that and do it consistently and you know what's the goal what's the outcome what are you actually trying to produce and you know you find that it's uh it's not just about getting the clay perfectly centered but it's about um making it completely homogenous it's an extension of wedging you know so you're really working the clay and getting getting a feel for it um you know and then from there it's showing it's throwing your initial form and in most cases in pottery that initial form is a cylinder of some 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 fashion so i i spent a month doing nothing but throwing cylinders all day every day till it collapsed i threw the tallest thinnest cylinder I could until it collapsed over and over and then the whitest thickest cylinder I could (laughs) until you know that failed and um, you know over and over to really start to understand what the clay can and can't do um, and how to make it do those things Um, so you know that's the approach I take in general when it comes to feet to answer your specific question that's something I struggled with too quite a bit honestly I think people approach feet differently I think there's maybe two general schools of thought on it. One of them is to make feet and attach them. So you've you've basically got your finished pot and now you're attaching feet to it. And that lends itself naturally because of the process to certain uh, styles and and techniques um, that work well for, for adding feet on after. And then the other approach is carve it from the pot form itself. And there's pros and cons to each method. Um, I prefer carving it from the pot, and that's primarily because I love carving. <laughs> Trimming the pot is a really is a I don't know it's a pleasurable experience for me. It, um, you know it's it's time on the wheel. I feel like it's um, centering. Uh, it's peaceful. I love the way the clay feels underneath the tool. I love the sounds it makes. Yeah, I love watching the ribbons fly off the tool head. <laughs> um, so that you know, chaos, all of that is you know, it's entrancing. Yeah, the chaos. It's beautiful, and it's a little risky. Uh, you know, you got this thing spinning around at some crazy speeds, and you're, you're taking steel to it, and you know, hoping you don't mess up. But once you once you get that down, and um, then it's pretty. Uh, it's almost meditative. Um, also, I like the idea that uh, the feet are integral to the body so there's no seams or joints um it's just all you know part of one piece and um that changes the way i throw though so as a result when i throw pots a bonsai pot i throw the pot to have a very thick base much thicker than someone else who's going to add the feet after because i got to be able to carve the feet out of the thickness of clay that's remaining and that changes some of my other process because now i have a really thick base and 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 thinner walls in comparison and those two things will dry at separate rates and will, um, will promote cracking. And so I've had to set up a system to make sure that that doesn't occur. And now that I got that down and the process for carving, it's, it's, you know, it's not too bad.
0: To sort of continue from there, what would you... So, so the experimenting, you, you're saying like, from what I understood, was you were building it from the base up. So you, you're building your knowledge and from the sounds of it, you were really you you went back to the mosque. it's sort of similar to how artists how they used to train so they would follow a mentor follow a one of the great masters learn under them and they'd start with the basics like you said just first of all wedging the clay and then Centering and then building bases, So you're not sort of just building a pot from the beginning and hoping that it comes you You were very systematic in the in the way that you approach things. That's that's true Yeah, from that systematic approach How would you then? <clears throat> again, take it to the the experimenting side because obviously now you've built up those basics How did you then start experimenting or what were your approaches to? Because I think some of the time I'm sort of frozen by that I'm not sure what to do, you know, I don't want to ruin the pot or anything like that right so I've, so i found, so I find myself like frozen of not trying to do something, but I know that in order to progress, I actually do need to destroy some pots and I do need to to make some some mistakes because that's the way that you're gonna learn. Do you have any tips like on how to progress that or how to experiment a little bit more? Oh
1: absolutely,
0: that's such a cool question and um and something that uh, the,
1: the the direction or advice I'll offer is was counter to my um, to my mindset, my way of approaching things before pottery. And one of the things I loved about it so much is how it helped me learn and grow in that way. So um, I'm a mathematical, scientific person by nature. Um, that's my academic background and and also what I've done for a career. So it's very it was very tough for me to step out into the unknown where I couldn't calculate the end result. So um, What I think what you're looking for, and and maybe a lot of people get stuck on, is not realizing they have a complete um, license on freedom of creativity. And you got to grant yourself that um, and not worry so much about the product, the end product. So one of the things I had to do for myself is um, I actually got out a big tarp and I put it in front of my wheel and I put buckets on my tarp. And I told myself that tonight I'm going to fill up these buckets with failed pots, and that's that's the purpose of the night. And um, and then I'd set the tone. And you know, this is maybe a little less, um, I don't know, formal. But I would, you know, find music. What kind of music gets me loose? It makes me relax. Um, I try some breathing techniques to calm myself down because if you're stressed out on the wheel, only bad things are going to happen. <laughs> so you get yourself calm. Get yourself relaxed, put on some music that's soothing and know that tonight you're going to throw 20 pots and they're all going to fail. And that's your goal. And then as soon as you realize that, as soon as you accept that and you stop trying to produce that, you know, picture perfect pot that you have in your mind and just allow yourself the creative freedom to have some fun um, and see what's possible, um, you know, and and know that that pot's going to fail and you take it to its limit, you test something out, you know, you're like, I wonder what would happen if I stretched it out as far as I can. Is that going to be cool? Is that, am I going to like that? Well, there's only one way to find out, you know, and as you're doing it, and you watch the clay move, and you see the form start showing up, you, um, you know, you get glimmers of, you know, glimpses of something that you really loved. And you just remember that, you know, I keep a sketchbook near me. So as those things occur, you know, I'll stop the wheel. I might take a picture with my phone or I'll take a note of my notebook and go, yeah, that I want to remember that, but then I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to keep going and see what happens. And then as soon as the pot fails, like it inevitably is going to do, because that's my goal for the night. Um, I'm going to wire that thing right off my bat and throw it on the tarp or in a bucket <laughs> and uh, grab another hunk of clay and go again. And um, I think that's, honestly the best way, you know? Um, and then I, it's important though, to mix, to, to remember, to mix that in with uh, a little bit of technique too. You know, it's not all just fun. It is also about mastering the techniques. So as long as you're practicing the techniques and the foundational skills that we talked about, um, you know, and then, and then once you kind of got that down, then start applying, you know, your, your own creative freedom on it and, and just seeing what happens. Um, and, and eventually you'll find your way. Um, and you'll you'll start finding the techniques and processes that work and don't just just from experience
0: i think we're very similar or i'm very similar to you in this sort of also coming from that uh, computer background in that there's definitely a sense of control and a sense of sort of anti chaos that I, that that i'm trying to, that i'm bringing <laughs> into the pottery when I, whenever i'm sitting down in front of the wheel so it's very right, it's right. very interesting what you're saying is it's a good idea to actually start the evening with that idea in mind of, OK, I'm going to fill all these buckets up with destroyed pots because you're going to take it to the max. But you also brought up a really I think that the, the, the nugget in that is that you said you you stop in the middle when you do find something that you that you like. And make a note of it. I think that's that's a really imp- it's not just creating failed pots. It's, it's the learning from that failure, which sometimes is the balance that I think you that, that, I, that I try to find. I couldn't agree more. Some of my best pots
1: are made when um, you know I get in a creative slump, and I can go back to those photos or that notebook. And uh, sometimes the the best idea comes from you know the early days at the wheel when I didn't know what I was doing. And, um, and I was just stumbling around, but something cool happened, you know, and I happened to capture it on my phone or, um, or on my notebook and, oh yeah, that was cool. And, um, you know, and I'll make it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's, it's, it's pretty rewarding to see that come back, you know, and remember all those nights throwing failed pots. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. I can imagine, I can imagine it's, it's, it's also just fun in this in the start because you don't know, you sort of you don't know what you don't know and on the other hand it, there's an excitement of you don't you don't really know what's going to what you're going to learn in that evening so it's a great way of of approaching things i agree i agree i also mix
1: creativity with with structure you know that's that's probably if you if someone was to study my work and look at my pots they'd find that there's some chaos involved there's usually tracks and things happening to the clay. Um, but that it's also usually in a precise form or has, um, clean trim lines or elegant feet or a polished rim or something else that brings back, you know, the, the practice and experience and technique. Um, and it's not just a mistake on the wheel. <laughs> um, and that's possible because I'll, 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 i allow myself to make these mistakes but then I, I bring back the technique and the practice and the fundamentals um, to try to give that that unique thing that happened as a mistake some structure behind it and I think um, for me personally I mean everyone has their own style but for me personally that that allowed me to move forward um, and, and start you know turning those mistakes into into you know functioning pots and something I you know I felt proud of
0: as I've been following you on Instagram, with you making like a specific clay, that blue clay that you made, or the cracked pots using the slip to make those cracked pots. I've really been enjoying the seeing that progress. It's one of the cool things of going back into someone's uh, Instagram feed and you can actually see that progress.
1: (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) I love doing that too. I, um, I like to study other potters journeys as well. And, um, it's inspiring you know it gives me ideas too and it's cool to see you know where someone started and where they are
0: today yeah definitely with you playing around is with slip I th- the last video that I caught you you were making those crack pots with the slip and the um, what was it sodium sodium silicate Sodium silicate yeah so that's the, and that, that's a ve- that's a very co- one of the things I love about or that's really, driving me or attracts me in in making pots is texture. There's me a, too. there are those pots that have that sort of glossy, beautiful, shiny look. But what really attracts me are those natural texture based pots that sort of that have those imperfections. They look more natural. They just seem to they seem to fit better with the tree because again bonsai is that from what I understand it's a tree in a pot. There's, there's two things. You have the tree and you have the pot. And sometimes I think people just focus so much on the tree and not, not that much on the pot. But looking at the pots, I really like that natural look. And I think you, you sort of seem to be leaning also that way towards a more textured pot. I haven't, I haven't really seen anything smooth and shiny uh, except for your, your ceramic works <clears throat> that you made uh, from porcelain. You are absolutely right. Um,
1: I believe in the same kind of approach. I think as you do. I like the idea of. I, I think of the pot as a picture frame for the tree, and and in the context in which the 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 frame and the and the tree are going to exist, you know. And I like the idea of the pot reconnecting the tree to the earth. And I feel like when you glaze a pot, now I'm not saying that that doesn't have its own beauty and its own place, but most of the time when I'm doing a custom order and I'm trying to match a pot to a tree i'm i'm thinking about how to reconnect the tree to the earth and it feels more natural if it's you know if it's a raw clay or when i in the case of slips it still is a is a raw clay it's just you know colored or maybe i use an oxide wash and it's got a little bit of luster but it doesn't have that glass coating which to me makes it start to feel artificial (laughs) Um, and less connected to the earth so that is definitely my philosophy and uh, my style and, um, you know, I love glazing as well, but I reach back on that
0: tool less and less often as I go farther and farther into uh, into Bonsai. When I use the glaze, I found that glaze is, it's not just an additive to the, to the pot. If you don't have that structure and you don't have the, the skeleton for that glaze to sit on the pot, you're you you just you've, you're going to be fighting against uh, trying to create something that's aesthetically beautiful or that makes sense to me. I've, I've found that I've really... glaze is a whole world in itself. Once you go into that whole world of, of making the glazes, the crystalline glazes or running glazes and I think currently what I'm looking at is working on getting the pot down because once the pot is Once you have that skeleton, just draping that that glaze over it will just you're not you're not fighting the current. You're not sort of trying to swim upstream.
1: Couldn't agree more. Um, I think it's really important to start with the form, Um, absolutely. And the other thing is, you know, glaze will bury a lot of um, a lot of the surface. In fact, you could have, you know, in some cases, fairly significant um, surface defects, and a glaze, especially. uh, you know, a flowing glaze, heavy flowing glaze, we'll bury that. Um, when you leave your clay raw, naked, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's body's really gotta be in shape. <laughs> There's no clothes to cover up the beer belly. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you, gotta, um, you gotta nail it. It's gotta be just right. And um, I think that's a good challenge, especially for new potters, you know, to really focus on the form, the quality of their surface finish, surface finish and texture. Um, you know, and once you have that dialed, then adding glaze on later is just one more step, you know, but you got everything else down already. So now you just got to learn the glaze
0: piece. <laughs> so coming to the end of the podcast, uh, just want to find out if there's anything maybe that you'd like to share with us, like promote, maybe I know that you make custom pots. If people want to reach out, how can they get a hold of you?
1: Yeah. Um, so thank you for that. Um, yeah, so I have a, a website, uh dot com, and uh, you can also find me on Instagram, uh, Jenkins Family Pottery. Probably my uh, my favorite part of what I do, and and what I think I can provide people the most value with is, is my live sessions and custom orders. I love I love that experience working with the customer. Um, I think the pot always comes out um, with a little bit more of their um, their finesse and touch and. You know, helps connect this tree they've spent so much time on with the pot that they're purchasing so they can feel like they have an intimate uh, involvement in both pieces. And usually the the final picture is a lot better when um, when they could be involved in both parts. So, yeah, I think uh, custom orders and um, live sessions. I'm also thinking about doing a weekly live session. I might do two of them, um, depending on, on how much time I can scrape up and the level of interest. The live sessions are going to start up, let's see, two weeks from today, and I'm going to be uh, starting and opening with um, something fun um, that I'm very good at, (laughs) (laughs) just to help showcase what I can actually accomplish. And then I'm going to go into something entirely experimental, which is kind of my style anyways and my own natural process in my studio. So. Um, I'll start with, you know, throwing a typical thing I'm good at. People can watch and see how I do that, and then I'm going to do something very crazy and experimental, almost trick-like, and uh, just have some fun and watch the failures happen. And then uh, the the last pot I'll throw will be a, a request from the audience, and uh, you know I'll, I'll do my best to make what they're after. So I'm going to be trying to do
0: those about once a week, maybe twice a week if there's a, there's enough attention for it. Yeah, you. I really like the way that you. I don't I don't think it's custom pots in 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 the sense of what you're doing it's more that it's a collaboration you seem to you seem to want to collaborate and really share in the process and not sort of give me the order and and then I'll I'll just send you the pot you sort of you you really seem to to want the customer to be involved in the process I mean that live session is is definitely a it's it's great thank you yeah I think um It really helps make the pot fit the person and the tree, which
1: is your goal. And you can't do that unless you know the person and can't think of a better way than getting on a live session and and working on something together.
0: Well, I'll get the I'll definitely post those links in the show notes. I'll I'll get them from you and people definitely I'd suggest following you on Instagram because it's there's just a wealth of of goodness coming out of uh, that feed of yours. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again in the future, Anthony. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.